you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 14. We're going to talk today about an important and exciting moment in the life of Scripture when we have a disciple of Jesus making a bold step. We've been talking over the last few weeks about what it means to live passionately devoted lives, what it means to live passionately devoted to our Savior and to our Lord, and as a church, what we want to see as things that we are passionately devoted to doing. Last week we talked about worship, and out of worship comes a desire to do whatever God calls us to do. And what ought to happen in our lives is when we worship God in spirit and in truth, that suddenly our lives become pointed towards Him and open to whatever He would have us to do. Now this week we're going to talk about a guy that got to a point where he could no longer sit still. And I was thinking about that this week when I thought about one of my favorite all-time stories. It's a story of a man named Larry Walters. Now, again, that may be a name that you've heard of or it may be a name that you haven't, but Larry Walters is a guy that at the age of 13 developed a dream about flying. He wanted to fly. He had seen the planes around him take off land. He had seen them in the air. And he desired more than anything to fly. And so as he began to grow up, he began to try to realize this dream. And he went to some places to try to get accepted into programs where he could be trained. And each time he went somewhere, he was rejected. He applied for the Air Force and they told him his eyesight wasn't good enough. After that, he went to uh, a commercial airline and asked if he could be a part of what they were doing in their training program. And they went through some tests and he didn't score well enough on the aptitude test and his eyesight wasn't good enough. And everywhere he turned, he was turned down for his dream of flying. Well, at the age of 33 years old, Larry decided it was time for his dream to come true, whatever he had to do. And so one day he got this idea while he was in an army surplus store about a way that he could fly and he decided he would try it out. And on July 2nd, 1982, he put his plan into motion. You see, the day before he went to the army surplus store and he bought at that place 42 weather balloons. And his plan was that he was going to tie these weather balloons to a Sears lawn chair. He was going to sit in the lawn chair, tether it to some vehicles, cut the tethers, and then he was going to float, not very far, just about 30 feet in the air, and hover over the Los Angeles area where he lived. In fact, I think we have a picture of the lawn chair he was going to use. There it is. That is the actual lawn chair. So Larry got together all the supplies he was going to need for his nice little journey. He got some sandwiches. He got some drinks. On the side are some... Uh, water bottles filled with water because he felt like, actually they're milk jugs filled with water because he thought he needed some weight to control his flight a little bit when he got up there. So he got that and he took a BB gun with him because he figured that he had to have a way to get down. And so when he got up in the air, he would just begin to shoot the BB gun into the balloons and one by one he would gradually descend. So on the day of July 2nd, 1982, he gets all about four or five friends together. They tether this thing to some cars around. They get everything set up. He gets in the chair. He straps himself in. He's ready and on the way. And they cut the first tether. And as soon as they cut the first tether, all the other ones snap. Here's a picture of Larry right after he took off. Now, Larry did not rise to 30 feet. 
He did not rise to a hundred feet. He did not rise to a thousand feet. In fact, when he began his ascent, he rose at a rate of a thousand feet per minute and rose to 16,000 feet. Now, I'm not a math scholar necessarily, but I think that's about three miles in the air. Well, he had a ham radio with him, and he radioed back down and said, I think I'm in some trouble. Now, I don't know about you, but for me, it would be a little disconcerting to be 16,000 feet in the air and realize the only thing between me and the ground was Sears lawn chair, right? So he calls down, his girlfriend was on the ground, and she's you know, back, and she said, well, well, we can see you flying over. Can you see us? She, he said, I think I'm thousands of feet in the air. You all look like ants. Everything was kind of peaceful, even though he was 16,000 feet in the air, until he got into airspace over Los Angeles. And the problem became more than just a problem for him when a TWA pilot phoned to the ground and said, I think I just passed a guy in a lawn chair. (laughs) Larry decided it was time to begin his descent. And so he took out his BB gun and he began to shoot. Now fortunately for Larry, this was part of the plan that actually worked. And gradually he began to descend. He had everything controlled, but of course there had to be one more mistake going. And as he shot out about the fifth or sixth balloon, the BB gun tumbled over the side and down to the earth. So he gradually began to descend. All this time there's some radio chatter going on and there's somebody from the, uh, from the commission over uh, airspace that calls into the authorities and says, whenever you can find him, arrest him. He has broken some sort of aviation law, and we can't figure it out, but when we do, we will charge him. (laughs) Larry gradually began to descend and actually got caught up in some electrical uh, lines and was hung up there when the police surrounded him and pulled him down. The news became kind of big, and so there were television reporters all around, and they got him on the ground in his lawn chair, and he got up, and as he was being led away by the authorities to be arrested on charges of flying an unfit vehicle, one of the television reporters put the microphone in his mouth and said, Larry, why did you do it? And Larry's only response that he would ever give is, sometimes you just can't sit there. Now, I want to be honest with you, that doesn't sound like a very good explanation for an exploit like that, right? But the truth is, what he was saying is, sometimes in your life there comes moments, points, when you've sat there long enough and it's time to do something. And this morning we're going to talk about a time when Peter was faced with a challenge of having to do something. We're going to talk about radical obedience. And the truth is, radical obedience is a time in your life when you realize that your life is about something more than what you've been living for and you can no longer just sit there. You've got to do something. On your handout, you have the Scripture passage from Matthew where Peter is invited by Jesus to get out of the boat and begin to walk on the water. I think we've got that up on the screens as well this morning. And it says, and I like the way the message paraphrases, it says, Peter, suddenly bold, said, Master, if it's really you, call me to come to you on the water. He said, come ahead. 
And jumping out of the boat, Peter walked on the water to Jesus. Now I want to be real honest with you. This morning I had intended to cover this entire story from the book of Matthew. Verses 20 through 2 all the way verse, through verse 33. But there just simply isn't enough time to do all that we need to do. And so I have split this sermon in two. The choice was to have a six-point, hour-and-a-half sermon or a three-point, 30-minute sermon. And I chose the three-point, 30-minute sermon. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. That's the best you've done that so far. I need to start with that every week, maybe. Just tell you I had a longer one even if I didn't. So we're going to talk today about the first part of this story, and we're going to walk all the way down to this point where he walks on the water. Most of you know the second part of the story and what happens when he gets out there, and we're going to cover that next week. But this morning I want to talk about taking that initial step of faith, that initial act of radical obedience. Look with me in Matthew chapter 14. I'm reading out of the NIV, starting in verse 22. It says, immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of Him. Now, you have to understand, if you look back in your NIV or any other Bible, you'll see that right before this is one of those great miracles of Jesus when He feeds the 5,000. You know the story. He's out there. The disciples come and say, hey, hey, we've we got to eat. These people are hungry. What do we need to do? Just send them away to go get food. And Jesus says, well, what do we have? And they say, well, this little boy. He's got a, just a couple of fish, a couple of bread. And we, what are we going to do with it? Jesus says, bring it to me. Jesus blesses it and 5,000 men plus women and children are fed. An amazing miracle. It tells us that at the end of that miracle, the people wanted to make him king. They were ready to inaugurate him. And Jesus, probably dealing with the people that were still there, still wondering how they ate, and asking Him for advice, and coming to Him for healing, says, Disciples, we've got to get to the other side of the lake. We've got to get away from this crowd. I'm not going to let them make me king. But before we do that, you go ahead and I'll catch up with you later. Verse 22 again. Immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat, go ahead of Him to the other side, while He dismissed the crowd. After he dismissed them, notice this, goes into what we talked about a couple of weeks ago. He went up on the mountainside by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus said immediately to them, take courage. It is I. Do not be afraid. Peter said, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. And he said to him, come. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. So you have this picture That Jesus says, I'm going to dismiss the crowd. You go ahead because I'm going to spend some time with my Father. Now the truth is, up until this point, the feeding of the 5,000 was the most public, amazing miracle that He had done. And one of the things I love about the life of Jesus is, in His times of difficulty, like the night before He goes to the cross, He goes to the Father in prayer. But also in those times of great victory, like feeding the 5,000, He goes to the Father in prayer. And while He's up there praying, He sends the disciples on ahead in the boat. Now let's remind ourselves real quickly. Most of the disciples, if you were to group them into the profession that they all had most in common, the most common profession among the disciples was that they were... Fishermen, right? 
And so being in a boat was not something new to them. It wasn't something uh, different to them. And they get in the boat, and it says that they start out, but they're having a hard time. Now the word that is used there is said that the wind was against them and it was buffeting the ship. I'll be honest with you, I'm not a big boat guy. I don't know a whole lot about a boat except how to sit in one, ride in one. I have gotten up on skis behind one once and fell right on my face right afterwards. And so I'm not a big boating guy. But what I know from this passage is if those disciples who were fishermen were having a hard time getting across the lake, this wasn't just a normal wind. These weren't novices thrown out into the boat. These weren't people that were just kind of semi-familiar with the boat out there. These were guys that did this for a living. And if they're having problems, that probably means the wind or the storm, whatever you want to talk about, whatever it was, was coming up over the sides. It probably meant that it was beating against them. It probably meant that every time they rode too forward, they got pushed a little bit back. It meant that they were straining with all their might. Everywhere they went, it said that they were going with all they could and they couldn't get very far. Now that's important to understand because it only heightens the miracle that's going to come. Now we know from reading it that Jesus walks on water and that Peter walks on water. And I don't know about you, but I have have a little bit of difficulty walking on smooth water. Right? Right? Maybe you would. I would. And as you get out and think about this one smooth water, you know, there's some pictures of this, and it looks like they're just kind of out talking to each other, having a good time. They were having to yell at each other, and it was waves all around them. And so Peter doesn't get out on a nice, smooth, calm lake. He gets out on a raging lake. Gets out in the middle of something that is fierce. There are three things that I want us to see about this passage of Scripture today that we are going to have to understand. If Jesus calls us out of the boat into a raging, fierce storm to walk on water with Him, the first is this, is that we have to be able to recognize God's presence. We have to be able to recognize God's presence. Radical obedience always involves recognizing God's presence. There's an interesting thing that happens in the Mark version of this story. Not here in the Matthew version of this story, but in the Mark version of this story. I want you to see what is there. And it's on the screen here. It says, He saw that they were making headway painfully. I like that. Headway painfully. For the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, He came to them walking on the sea. He meant to pass them by. Now, I want to be real honest with you. The first time I read that, I got a little chuckle. Because this is what I envisioned. These disciples, with all their might, rowing, pushing, doing everything they can to get going forward, and Jesus is just going to walk right past them on the water. They've been working real hard to get something done, and somebody comes in in just a moment and spends about two or three seconds, and it's done and walks away. A little frustrating, right? Maybe you've never been there. I have. It's a little frustrating. And so Jesus is there, and it says in Scripture that He means to walk past them. Now, that is important because that is a technical term. A couple of weeks ago we talked about the Bible and we talked about that the Bible was translated in all kinds of translations. And one of the things they did is they translated the Old Testament into Greek, which is what the New Testament is written in. And one of the things that is interesting about this term, pass them by, and I think it's bolded on your handout. You can circle it there. You can underline it or whatever. One of the things that's interesting is this is the term that is used in the Old Testament when they're trying to describe a time when God showed them a little bit of who He was. 
It's a term from the Old Testament where God says, this is who I am. This is what I want to give you a glimpse of who I am. And I'm going to do it by passing you by. Two examples. They're there on your handout. One comes from the book of Exodus. And in Exodus 33, it says, The Lord said, here is a place near me. Now, this is when he's talking to Moses. Moses is getting ready to lead the people. The people have been disobedient. They've been rebellious. And God says, you know what? I just don't think I can go with you. I don't think I can go with them. And Moses says, if you don't go, we don't go. And he said, in fact, God, I want to see a little bit of your glory. I miss it. I want to see it. Show me your glory. And this is what God says. Here's a place near me. You stand on the rock, and when my glory passes by, same word, I will put you in the crevice of the rock, cover you with my hand until I've passed by. The idea is that Moses is going to get a glimpse of who God is, but it has to be shielded a lot. When 1 Kings chapter 19, you can go on to the next slide, it shows us in the New Living Translation version of this where God is telling Elijah after Mount Carmel, after he's come down, Elijah is saying, I need to see you, God. I'm depressed. I'm, I need you. And he says, go out. Stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Now, what does all that have to do with anything? Here's the thing. There are specific moments in our lives when God intends to reveal a little bit of who He is to us. And if we're going to be radical, obedient people, then we're going to have to be able to recognize when that happens. And what I love about what's happening with Jesus, while it is a miracle He's walking on water, what He's showing them is not just that He can walk on water, He wants them to get an idea that He is stronger and bigger than anything they'll face. The disciples are sitting there. They're in the boat. They're buffeted by the waves. They're looking out. They're trying to see what's happening. When one of them says, wait, there's something on the water. Now you and I have become kind of immunized to this story. And we think, of course, it's Jesus. But put yourself in their situation. Imagine, if you will, you're out on the lake this afternoon. It gets a little breezy out there. You can't go forward. And you look out and you think you see somebody standing walking towards you. And the first thing they say is, it's a, it's a, that's one of those phrases in Scripture we read like they just went, it's a ghost. That's not what happened. Alright? When you say, it's a ghost, and you really think it's a ghost, you don't say it in a calm version like, uh, Peter, I think that's a ghost out on the water. Right? I mean, it says in Scripture, look what it says. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, as you've got the NIV, you can read that word with me. They were terrified. It's the Halloween season, right? Everywhere you look is scary stuff here, scary stuff there. I don't know what kind of scary stuff gets you terrified, but somebody walking on a lake at night when it's raining is something that would get me terrified. And they yell out, It's a ghost! And then Jesus says, no, it's me. And Peter just is the only one that we know. We don't know how the other ones reacted, but we know this. Peter recognized it was. Now sometimes the disciples get grieved. Why didn't they know it was Jesus? Couldn't they see that it was Him? I want to ask you the last time you saw somebody walking on the water and immediately thought, I ought to know who it is. This never happened before. And so they look at it and they say, that must be Him. 
I believe that God places moments in our lives on a daily basis that He expects us to recognize as divine appointments from Him. For you, it may be in the morning you're making your coffee stop at the convenience store, the coffee, wherever you get coffee. McDonald's, Shoney's, convenience store, Starbucks, wherever. And you walk up and you're in a pretty good mood that morning because it's a good morning, everything's going well. You, 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 know, you order your coffee, your grand date, half mocha coffee, whatever you do, or just give it to me black, whatever you like. And the woman across the thing, you say, how are you doing this morning? Well, it's been a tough day. All right, then, well, you have a good one. Get your coffee and move on. Maybe God has placed her there. Maybe it's when you ask that question that we all ask each other as we're passing each other. Oh, how are you doing this morning? Good. How are you doing? I'm good. Most of the time we're lying through our teeth. But how are you doing? I'm good. Good. And somebody says, well, I'm not so good. All right. Well, you take care of yourself. It's what we do. Now, it may be little or it may be big moments. God may be bringing something into your life that will change who you are. The problem is, most of us are so busy, we never recognize divine interruptions. Never. And the question is, at what moments in your life is God passing you by and you just let Him go? You remember that old song, uh, Do Not Pass Me By? Old hymn. You know, the problem is that God is intending to pass us by. Most of the time, the reason we don't experience it is because we let Him. It's not because He's trying to pass us by so that we don't see Him. He's passing us by and we don't ever recognize He's right here in our midst. There are countless number of times that you and I are in the sanctuary of God, worshiping Him, trying to do all that we can, when God is trying to speak to our heart and we ignore it or don't understand it. I would dare say that this morning some of you will walk out of this place and God meant to speak to your heart and you didn't recognize or let Him. We've got to be willing to recognize His presence. It means looking past what is actually going on and seeing the spiritual side of it. You remember when Moses was in the wilderness after he had uh, killed the man and been sent off into exile and he's walking along one day and there is a burning bush. Remember that story? And the burning bush was God's uh, attempt to get him to, to understand that God was going to use him. And it says in Scripture that Moses turned aside to see the bush. And immediately he recognized while it was a burning bush, it took him a moment to realize it was not being consumed. And then he knew there was something more to that bush than just a bush on fire. That it was God getting ready to speak to him. What I love about this story of Peter is there are a lot of times in the life of Peter when he gets stuff wrong. When he takes a bold step and tries to step out and because of it he gets something wrong. But what I love is in this story he gets it right. Now there are all kinds of disputes about there whether he should have got out and walked or not. We're going to talk in a minute why I think he was supposed to get out and walk. But the point is when everybody else thought it was a ghost and were crying out in fear, as soon as Jesus spoke, Peter said, Lord, if it's you, I think it's you. I think you're trying to teach us something. I think this is a divine appointment. If it's you, tell me to come where you are. You recognized God's presence. 
Here's the second thing that has to happen if we're going to follow Jesus with all our heart, if we're going to have radical obedience. The second thing is radical obedience always involves taking risks. It always involves taking risks. Now the truth is we live in a culture that doesn't like to take risks. We like to be comfortable. I was thinking about this the other day when we were uh, out doing some shopping. And we were out at a, uh, off the new Shackle Island Road, that new shopping center out there. It's got the Target, the Kroger, and all of that. And right there in the middle of that shopping center is a furniture galley that's called Lazy Boy. Right? I thought about the fact that we don't have any worker chairs in our house, but we have lazy boys. Now, what's interesting about that is our lazy boy or easy chair, we're so lazy we don't even spell out the whole word. Right? It's L-A-Z boy. E-Z chair. I mean, think about how we set up our houses. We have a lazy boy recliner with a remote control by our side so that we don't have to get up to do anything. They even make those chairs now with cup holders in the side so you don't have to get up and get something to drink. It is completely okay in our culture when you're done with your day just to go home and veg out. We are a comfortable culture. The problem is, Scripture teaches us that if you're going to be a follower of Jesus, comfort is not part of the life. There's an amazing truth in a short verse. Verse 28, we continue. It says, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come on you in the water. And Jesus says to him, come. This is what I love. Verse 29. Then Peter got down out of the boat. Now, I want you to realize there's a lot of dispute about what kind of boat this is. But I know that from Scripture, he got down out of the boat. That means that it wasn't one of these that's level with the water, right? He had to climb down out of the boat. And in that phrase we see Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. Now I don't know what the other ones did, but I can guarantee you this. There was one that walked on water, and there were 11 boat potatoes. Right? There were 11 that didn't. And one of my experiences in churches has been that there are a whole lot of pew potatoes in our midst. And what Scripture teaches us is that if we are going to be radically obedient to Christ, it means that we are going to have to step out of comfort zones and we're going to have to follow Him completely with our lives. Philanthropist John Shedd once said, A ship in harbor is safe, but that is not what ships are built for. And a Christian in a sanctuary in a pew may be safe, but this is not all that we were built for. A Christian in a Sunday school class listening to the teacher talk may be saved, but that is not all that we were built for. There are moments, there are times to come into harbor so that we get cleaned up, so that we get refueled. But the most biggest part of our life is to be spent out on the water, living our lives for Christ, not safe in the harbor of comfort. We've just gone through this whole moving process. Part of the moving process is moving things and seeing things you use and you don't use. And I was thinking about our China the other day. You know China. It's the good stuff, right? When we got married, we went out and picked some China out. I'll tell you a story on my wife. 
when we got there, she said, I've got some china I like. I want you to go help me pick it out. I said, that sounds great to me. You know, any of you guys that have been through the wedding, you know our response is always, absolutely. Looks good. That's what I would have picked right there. We get to the store. She takes me up to the china part. She goes, okay, I know which ones I like. I said, great. Let me see if she said, all right, you show me which ones you like. Now that's the problem. They all look the same to me. They're all white. They got some gold or some silver on them. They look great to me. Fortunately, I picked right. But we've got China. We registered for it. We got all our China. We got our place settings. We got the silverware. And then while we're moving, we're packing up the China. We have to put it in the special China packs, put it in the special China boxes. All of that. Does all that's done. We get out. We unload it out of the special China packs, special China boxes. We sit it up in the thing that displays the China. And this is what I thought. I don't think we have ever eaten on the China. We've been married for almost 10 years, and we have never eaten on the china. Why? Because it's too expensive to eat on. (laughs) Right? Now, here's the crazy thing. China is plates. It's silverware. It's glasses. Plates are made to be eaten off of. Glasses are made to be drunk from, but because it's so expensive, we don't do it. There are a lot of Christians that take the gift that God has given us in a new life, complete freedom in Him, and we treat it like China that's not to be broken or tried or to do anything with. We take our Christianity and the day that we're saved and the day we we get to a point where we think we're comfortable in our lives, we put it up on the shelf and say, now we're done with it. Scripture teaches us we are supposed to be out there. It just says in here that Peter got down out of the boat and began to walk on the water. Let me give you four consequences of being a boat potato. Or a pew potato, you fill in whatever you want to call it there. Four dangers or problems with it. First is stagnation. As living creatures, we are created to grow. As Christians, we are created to grow. I was thinking about our two sons, Eli and Luke, and and the fact that in their first year of life, both of them almost tripled in height and weight. Now, I worked that out for Eli one time and figured out that if he tripled in height and weight, Every year, I can't remember the height, but I remember he would be at right now, at almost five years old, or closing in on five, at about 480 pounds. Now, he's kind of slowed down a little bit, but if we took him to the doctor and he wasn't growing, the doctor would say, what's wrong with Eli? The problem is we have a lot of people that aren't experiencing God's greatness because they're sitting in the pews, they're listening to the sermons, they're going to Sunday school, but they're not taking any risk of faith. And as a result, they're not growing. And we don't take the time to say, what's wrong? We just say that's who they are. Stagnation is a major problem. You know that... With West Nile disease and all of that stuff, a big concern has been mosquitoes. One of the things that I always find interesting is the places mosquitoes like to live the most is stagnant water. And the truth is, in the lives of Christians, the most complaining, discomfort, uneasiness in church often comes from the stagnant Christians. Those that aren't seeing God move in their lives. Here's the second thing that doesn't ha- that happens when you have boat potato that costs you is that you have unrealized potential. 
In the story of the talents, Jesus gives out ten talents, five talents, one talent, and he goes them all to go spend some. And the ten-talent guy goes and, and, and invests it and gets ten back. The five-talent guy does the same. The one-talent guy goes and he doesn't do anything. And he brings it back. And he hadn't seen any gain from what he got. And Jesus says in the story that the owner gets all over the guy with one talent because he didn't get a chance to see his potential. Here's the thing. God has unbelievable plans for your life. In Jeremiah 29, 11, it says, For I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. When God looks at your life, He has unbelievable plans for you. The problem is, we don't get on board with that, and we don't see the potential He sees in all of us. Now, I'm not going to go into a... A sermon on self-esteem and how we need to build each other up. The truth is, God showed you everything you need to know about how much He values you when He stretched out His arms in the person of His Son on the cross and died for your sins. He didn't do that because He thinks you're worthless. He thinks you have unbelievable potential. But the truth is, we have to be willing to step out in faith or we never see it. Here's a third thing. It's just real simple. Boat potato cost is that you are doing disobedient things. You are disobedient. In the book of James it says that disobedience is not only doing the things that we know we shouldn't do. It's not doing the things we ought to do. It means that if we are supposed to, if Peter here, let me just say it this way. If Peter here, when Jesus says come, and Peter says, no, 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 that's walking on the water. I can't do that. That's for you, Jesus. He would have been disobedient here because Jesus had told him to come. And those moments in your life when you feel God tugging at your heart to do something and you are too scared or too afraid to step out in faith and do it, those are moments of disobedience. And if you wrap all that up, the fourth one is you have missed opportunities. Missed opportunities. When I was in the youth group growing up, one of the big kind of illustrations that was used a lot was that uh, back then it was VCRs, now it's DVDs. That when you ended your life, that God was going to sit down with you and you were going to watch your life together and you and God were going to see all the bad things that you had done. And I remember as a youth, that scared me to death. I think a more accurate presentation of what may happen at the judgment that you and I as followers of Jesus will go through is not that we'll see all the bad things we've done. I think that what would be worse for me now is to see all the missed opportunities I had in life. And I believe God can sit down with me and put a DVD on in my life and as I'm walking through that coffee shop saying to me, now see there, Lyle, that lady right there, if you would have spoken to her at that moment, you would have had someone come into the fellowship at that moment, you would have cannot be a part of it and you could have seen her grow in the faith, but you missed it. You know, Lyle, when you were at that Thanksgiving meal and you had that family member across from you and you knew that they weren't a follower of Jesus and they said something that opened the door slightly for you to share your faith, you could have had a moment at Thanksgiving when you saw them come to Christ. Lyle, you know when you, I ask you to step out in faith and to, and to do this or to say this, you don't understand how much benefit, how unbelievable your life would have been if you would have just taken the moment to do it. Now here's the thing. When God calls us to take those steps of faith, it doesn't mean that we're not going to have fear. 
I think Peter was probably scared to death every moment that he stepped out of that boat. I could imagine as he drug one leg over going, what in the world am I doing? As he got that other boat on, he other leg over, and he's just holding on to the side of the boat. I can't believe this. I'm about to, I'm about to just fall right in this water. But I believe Jesus called me. And as he dropped, wondering. I can imagine it would kind of be like I feel oftentimes when I get ready to go on a roller coaster. I don't know if you've ever ridden a roller coaster, but I know those moments when I've strapped myself in and they start the thing up, my first thought is, what in the world am I doing here? And as it begins to climb that hill, every step of the way, I'm thinking, can I get off at any moment? And I remember in Texas, at Six Flags Over Texas, there's a a ride they have called Texas Giant. As you get to the top of the biggest wooden roller coaster in America, you get to the top of it, and at the very top is a picture of Wile E. Coyote, you know, the guy from the characters. And it just says, can we reconsider this? And then you begin to plunge. But here's the thing I know. Is once that thing goes, I don't worry about fear anymore. Because I'm having the time of my life. That leads us to the third thing. Radical obedience. Always. Well, one thing we forgot. Always make sure you distinguish between faith and foolishness. Alright? Always make sure you distinguish between faith and foolishness. Now, the key here. The key to all of that. Distinguishing between that is that it's the calling of God that brings you out of the boat. If Peter would just decided before Jesus ever showed up, I'm going to get out and walk on water, that would have been foolish. It's kind of like the story I heard of a guy that was at the gates of heaven and St. Peter said, have you done anything noble in your life? He said, actually I have. He said, well, tell me about it. He said, well, just, uh, I, I was, I was, uh, you know, walking along one day and I saw uh, these bikers and they were really giving this woman a hard time and I just, I told them to stop and they wouldn't stop and finally I decided I would go up to the leader of the bikers, the biggest one with the most tattoos and I walked up to him and I said you need to stop messing with that woman and St. Peter said, man, that's great, when did that happen? He said, uh, about two minutes ago. That was foolish. Faith is when it's called by God to go. It leads us to the last thing about radical discipleship, radical obedience, is it always leads to adventurous living. There are a lot of things the Christian life can be. It can be difficult, it can be challenging, it can be troublesome, it can be hard, but the one thing the Christian life lived like God intends for it to be can never be is boring. The problem is most of us have set up how much we want to give and we're not going to let God do anything else. Colin Smith, who was a pastor, talks about remembering vividly about his dad taking him to auction sales as a kid. There's an auction coming up real soon for the Goodlettsville Health Center. And he said, maybe this is good advice for that. He said, when you go in, don't scratch your nose at the wrong time, son. Don't raise my hand or yours at any moment that's not important. And always remember this. Make sure you know your upper limit price. Colin Smith says that that has been ingrained in him the whole life. And the greatest danger for people that are followers of Jesus is that we go into our lives with our upper limit set. God, I will be glad to follow you as long as it doesn't mean this. God, I'll be glad to do whatever you ask as long as it doesn't mean that. 
He says, our calling is to a life of unconditional obedience where the price is unknown. It's walking into that auction house saying, I'm getting that no matter what it costs. Here's the question. What are you doing today with your life that you could not do without God's help? What is it? And it kind of goes along with this question, and that is, what is your boat of comfort? You see, Peter was in that boat and it was comfortable at the moment because it was what seemed to be protecting them from the wind and the waves and the storm and all that was around. And I don't know what's in your life that you consider your boat of comfort, but whatever it is, the question is, if God calls you out of it, are you willing to come? Maybe it's a relationship that you've been in that you know is not right or or, or is keeping you back from doing what God called you to do. And God is saying it may be time to step out. A friendship or... Someone that you've been dating that's just not letting you be all that God intends for you to be. And it means it's time to step out. Maybe it's the comfort of of going to church every Sunday and being in the same Sunday school class. And God is calling you out to do something different. Are you willing to be radically obedient to Him? Maybe it's a job that you have and God's calling you to something different. Are you willing to be radically obedient to Him? Maybe it's going in a different direction and sharing your faith and you don't want to miss those opportunities. Are you willing to be radically obedient to Him? For each of us in this room, we can define our boat however it is. The question is, when God calls us to come, will we? I want to close today with a letter that I read this week from one of our missionaries, Karen Watson, that was killed in the Middle East. The letter was dated March 7, 2003. She gave it to her pastor before she left, and on March 15, 2004, she was killed. She gave instructions not to open the letter unless she was killed on the field. And this is what it read. Dear Pastor Phil and Pastor Roger, you should only be reading this in the event of my death. I want you to know that when God calls, there are no regrets. I tried to share my heart with you as much as possible. My heart for the nations. I wasn't called to a place. I was called to Him. To obey was my objective. To suffer was expected. His glory, my reward. His glory, my reward. One of the most important things to remember right now is to persevere in their work. I'm writing this as if I'm still working with my people group. I thank you all so much for your prayers and support. Surely your reward in heaven will be great. Thank you for investing in my life and spiritual well-being. Keep sending missionaries out. Keep raising up fine young pastors. And in regards to any service, keep it small and simple. Preach the gospel. Be bold and preach the life-saving, life-changing, forever eternal gospel. Give glory and honor to Him. And these are my parting words of wisdom from a missionary heart. Care more than something is wise. Risk more than something is safe. Dream more than something is practical. Expect more than something is possible. You see, I was called not to comfort or success, but to obedience. There is no joy out of knowing, outside of knowing Jesus and radically obeying Him. In His care, Karen. You know, the truth is, as Christians, especially in America, we've gotten real good at playing the church game. We've gotten real good at it. And my desire for this church, my desire for my life, is that I would never settle for being good at the game of church. But that my life would be radically 
obedient to Him. I take encouragement from Karen and I'm challenged by someone that was so faithful to stepping out of the boat. Her task of stepping out of the boat is much greater than any of us have answered. The question is, when God calls you, are you ready to obey? Let's pray together. just a moment, we're going to have a time of invitation after I pray. And this morning, God may be calling you to get out of your boat of comfort. Maybe it's one of those things I mentioned. There's a relationship or there's a, there's a, a class that you've been in and God's calling you to do something else. Or there's something in your life God's calling you to do to get out of your boat. You know what that is. And this morning, what God is calling you to do is come to this altar Not because there's anything magical about here, but it's because it's a step of obedience where you are. Because it's a step of courage. And that you're going to get out of what God has been, uh, of your comfort zone, and you're going to be going into what God has for you. This morning, perhaps, you're here and you've never accepted Christ as your Savior. And for you, getting out of the boat means that you have to come to Him and realize who He is and say, I'm willing to do whatever. Maybe you're here and you've been a member of this church for a long time and you don't have any clue what it means to get out of the boat. You don't know what that means for God, what He's calling you to do, but you know in your heart that that's what you desire. And that this morning what you're going to do is say, God, I don't know what it means, but today I'm saying whatever you desire for me, I'm willing to step out and to do. This morning... Be courageous. If God is calling you to come, I'm going to ask you in just a moment.